great way to start the service today. Wouldn't you agree? Just, uh, just sharing in, uh, in great memories, uh, great, great things. Uh, Bob, where'd you go over there? You did awesome, man. I, I, I know you said uh, you were nervous, but just, you know, it's so powerful for us to hear each other's stories and to hear um, kind of things that have happened in your life. I know that that means something to you, and I know you guys were touched by that as well. Um, it's just amazing. And, and we were chatting this morning. He said he's really nervous. He's been around big groups. And I said, well, here's an idea. You can just picture the audience. And he said, that's what I'm nervous about. Um, so uh, so it'll, be <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be okay. Um, no, but thanks for sharing. We, we appreciate that. Great to watch, uh, you know, the baptism Sunday that we participated in a few weeks back. Uh, just a wonderful moment where uh, many parents got to baptize their kids. Many of you students made that commitment as well, and that's always a powerful thing uh, for us to share in, in our lives. Uh, we're we're kind of winding down this Ask Jesus series, and we, uh, I kind of started this um, a while back because I, I truly believe that we can all ask any question of Jesus. And I believe the church should be a safe place where we actually ask difficult questions. Uh, it shouldn't just be a place where we ask the questions that we already think we know the answers to, but it is so important for us to come and say, hey, if we were, if Jesus were here today, how would he answer us on certain things? And the next couple of weeks following this, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of fun with this. We're going to talk about some things that maybe we, you know, we don't have answers for. Uh, like, how, how do you live in a world as a Christian with social media? Um, where are the limits of that? How much money is too much money? How rich is too rich? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about about sexuality and, and talking about what some of the boundaries are because a lot of those have maybe been diluted in our world today. Uh, we're going to try to touch on just a few of these these ideas and just have some candid conversations about where God meets us in the midst of those things and what our response as Christians should be. Uh, went home last week and uh, Haley and I were talking and she she said to me, she said, I don't understand why the book of Revelation is so different than the rest of the Bible. She said, you know, most of the Bible's pretty pretty easy to understand, a lot of it's story. Okay, there's some prophetic stuff and maybe some wisdom stuff, and we don't kind of get all that. But for the most part, the Bible's pretty easy to understand. And then you've got this book of Revelation at the end. And it's all this weird language, and there's dragons and beasts and fire and, you know, these weird-looking creatures and people are riding horses that have all kinds of, you know, seven heads and weird features. And what is going on with that? And we kind of had a good little, little chat about it. If I was to do justice to the entire book, it would take at least six months to preach all the way through it. And I'm going to try to not preach all the way through it, but just give us some ideas, because today we're going to talk about my favorite part of the book of Revelation. And I think it should be every Christian's favorite part. We talked about this last week. All things begin and end with the presence of God. If you read the Bible... The one theme that is present from before the beginning is that God is there. And as the Bible unfolds, there are times where, where people think, well, where is God? You know, maybe they're slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Well, where, where is God? Oh, no, he's there. Well, there's times when they're in exile, but where is God? Or times when their enemies are overtaking them. Where is God? God is there. God is the presence throughout the entirety of time and space, and ultimately the Bible as well. And maybe that's an important fact, because this is the reality. The only two things we should do in the presence of God is worship 
people pray. Uh, we've talked about it today. Bob, you mentioned both, right? <laughs> people prayed every single day because we recognize that the presence of God is real and it is there and it's something that we need to step towards. If you're struggling in your life, the correct response is prayer. Call on God and say, okay, God, I'm struggling. What do I do here? That doesn't mean you can't pray when things are good. But most of the times when things are good, our response is we sing a song of worship. We, we thank God. We live our lives with a sense of gratitude. And finding a balance between these two things is what the Christian journey is ultimately about. I think sometimes when we read the book of Revelation, our, our temptation is to start figuring out, well, you know, what's the mark of the beast or what, who's the antichrist? And, you know, what about the temple being rebuilt? And let's talk about the dates and the thousand and, and let's get all bogged down with these things. And I'm not saying that none of these things are important or matter. They probably just don't mean exactly what we think they mean. As I've read this book and as I've studied this book and as I've been trained in this book, my belief personally is that most of this book is symbolic. Most of it is not actual dragons and beasts and times. And, and so they're images for us to understand. The, sa the same is true for this. When Jesus tells parables, we recognize these are not actual people. Like, the wrong thing to do when Jesus shares the story of the prodigal son is to go and say, who is that? Is that Bob? He's got two kids. Or is that Joe? Or is that, that's not the point of it. Or the rich young ruler. You know, I think I know someone like that. Maybe, maybe God's, the goal is not to actually figure out who it is. The goal is to say, what is God teaching me in the midst of this? What do I learn from this? And if you read parables, if you read the parables of Jesus, some of them have answers. Some of them do not. And what I want to tell you is this. It doesn't really matter how we see this book. What matters is the ending. When we read the Bible, the Bible starts with these simple words. In the beginning, God. It's a present theology statement. What the book of Revelation does, what John the Apostle writes to the church, what he is really saying is this. In the end, God says. It begins and ends with the presence of God. He is reminding the people that God is on the throne. God has never left the throne. God didn't sort of take a hiatus and leave, even though from our experience there are times when we kind of say, you know, where is God? What's, what's God doing? Why is God not in the midst of this or walking with us through this? He is. He's there. And just because he's not acting right now in our time, do you ever find you get impatient with God's speed? Right? Okay, God, I really need you to fix it. Okay. What do we do? Right? That's what we do. God is on the throne. My favorite part of the book of Revelation is the final battle. The final battle scene. Because it's so unlike the way that we try. So I'm going to read two different texts today. Uh, hopefully we, we, we get through both of these. But in Revelation chapter 19, we have this scene. And you listen to the language. It's language that we know. It's Bible language. And as it unfolds, you'll see what I mean. So everything up to, to chapter 19 is really about all these different things that are happening in the world and, and what's going on. And now we're entering into the final battle scene of the book of Revelation. 
Uh, Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. John is writing these things, and he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. Now, if you know anything about history, when, when people came back triumphantly, they would ride white horses. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. You know, like when you, guys, you know this, when you do something wrong and your wife looks at you. You know what I mean? Okay, that's the image right there. Blazing fire. And on his head is many crowns. Right? He has authority. He is, he's the king. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped, with, uh, dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. John starts this language in his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Uh, John's using his own language here. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword to which he strikes down the nations. What he's going to say is going to be big. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, we, we know who this is. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God. Th there's this banquet in the Bible, this time when, when God will celebrate with his people. Even Jesus uses this language when he, when he starts the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He says, I'm not going to eat this again until I do what? Until I eat it with you again when we're in heaven. When this is all over, that's when we're going to share this great banquet and this great meal once more. Verse 18, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Now that sounds really gross, but this is sacrifice language. It says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathering together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. So can you see the picture? Here comes Jesus with all these, you know, with the armies of heaven, and now the other side is gathering kind of to stand opposed. There's this huge fight that's about to happen, right? This is the funny thing. You ever watch action? You like action movies? I like action movies. Everybody likes action movies, right? But at the end of every action movie, they all kind of end the same. Okay? Um, let's talk about Top Gun Maverick and how that one ends. I'm just kidding. I will not do that. I will not do that. But if you don't amen a lot during the sermon, before I'm done, I will. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But the point is this. You always have the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other side. And it usually comes down to one person versus one person, right? And then what happens is they start battling, and if it's swords, they're clinking their swords, or they're doing whatever. And there's always a time where it looks like the baddie is winning, right? That's what happens. And the other one's down and fumbling and can barely get up. 
and, and it gives the illusion of maybe it's over. And then in this newfound strength, the good guy kind of gets back up and, and sort of defeats the bad guy. And that's usually like, wow, everybody's happy and we applaud and we love those kinds of endings. In fact, it wouldn't be a good movie if the person just walked in, uh, whether bad or good, and was kind of a very singular fight moment and it was just over. It would be very anticlimactic. And yet, that's the way that God writes. Here comes the armies of heaven. Here's the armies of evil, and they're going to battle together. And then John says, and I love this, in verse 20, But the beast was captured, and the false prophet who performed the signs on their behalf, with these signs they deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The, the two of them are thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest are just killed with the sword that's coming out of the mouth of the rider, and the birds eat their flesh. It's just, boom, it's over. And then there, there's, and it's done. convincing a victory it's going to be. They're not even going to have a chance. Jesus may have come as a lamb, but he returns as a lion. And that's what the writer is saying. Don't be fooled. Jesus came and he was the sacrifice, but if you're not on his side, you will be the sacrifice. If you are not where you need to be, if you're not part of the armies of heaven, you're on the other side and it doesn't end well. When you go forward a little bit more to chapter 22, Jesus says a couple of things, and this is kind of this restoration process that's taking place in the life of the church. It says in verse 7 of chapter 22, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And if you jump down to verse 10 through verse 13, it says, then he told me, this is Jesus telling John, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Shorthand, he is coming. We need to live in anticipation. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. And our job is to make sure that we are with the armies of heaven. The reason why Revelation matters, the reason why this text matters, is because it reminds us that he will prevail because he already has. God's going to win convincingly. It's not even a fair fight. And there's a reason why Jesus rides on the, rides on the white horse and is called faithful and true. And why the armies heaven follow him because he has given himself as a sacrifice we do not have to fear the armies of evil doesn't matter what's going on in our lives it doesn't mean that everything in our lives is going to be 
great and wonderful all the time? What it means is we get to be behind Jesus. We don't deserve to be there. We've done nothing to earn that place. But because he is our leader and he has sacrificed himself, we get to be a part of it. And we're invited into a great banquet. Maybe it doesn't seem like a great banquet. Maybe our view of banquet is a little different. But when we share in this, we not only recognize that this should be us, but it's not, it's him. When we do this in remembrance of him, we also do it in victory, claiming what is about to come. Not to be sidetracked by when and where and how and figuring out this code. But when we share in the body and the blood of Jesus, we're joining with the armies of heaven. And as we share this together, (laughs) we make a declaration that we are living in anticipation of the end. We are part of God's last act. today as we share in the body and the blood of Jesus, you close your eyes and you you see him riding ahead of us. It's also a moment, there's, there's something in everybody's life, there's something in my life and something in your life that maybe we're just having a hard time with right now. This is a reminder that God has given us victory over the only thing that matters, over death. And anything short of that is a bonus to us. So maybe today we take a moment to say thank you to God. Maybe we take a moment to lay down whatever we're carrying. But we also remember God will win. We will win through Jesus. So Father, today I just thank you for this body and this blood. Just pray that it would speak to our lives, to our spirits. Father, it would give us energy that we would your power, that we would know that you're the God who walks with us through the best of moments and through the worst. I thank you that we can conquer anything because of the power of Jesus, his sacrifice, his body, and his blood. Bless us as we share this today in victory. We pray this.